welcome to another episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast, where we share the stories of the Strong Towns movement in action. I'm your host, Rachel. Today's guest is somebody that you are probably familiar with, but this is his first time on this particular podcast. It's Chuck Marone, president and founder of Strong Towns. He is on the show this week talking about his new book, Confessions of a Recovering Engineer, Transportation for a Strong Town, which just came out yesterday. In this conversation, Chuck talks about what got him motivated to write this book in the first place and why productive, resilient transportation is such an essential piece of a strong town. He shares some personal stories about transportation challenges in his hometown of Brainerd, Minnesota, which will probably resonate with almost everyone listening because they are sadly common. And Chuck also shares his hopes for how this book can educate and inspire people to make the transportation in their communities better. Finally, he offers his advice for getting started learning about the transportation in your own city. Step one, get out and walk. Step two, observe how your neighbors are walking and traveling through your city and where they're facing challenges, dangers, obstacles. You can find Confessions of a Recovering Engineer at your local bookstore or anywhere else that books are sold. And visit confessions.engineer for more info about the book. With that, here's my discussion with Chuck. Chuck Marone, thank you for joining me for this episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast. It is great to have you in your debut on this particular show. (laughs) It is delightful to be here with you. Of course. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be leading this organization called Strong Towns? Um, of course, you wrote a whole book, um, your first book that does you know, address some of this stuff. And you've written thousands of articles over the last 10 years that talk some about your life story. But like, give us, give us a brief synopsis for people that might not know you. Wow. So I grew up on a farm in central Minnesota. <laughs> I feel very close to that right now. So maybe that's the first thing that popped into my head. I'm an engineer, I'm a planner, and I spent uh, uh, many time in doing both of those professions, searching for something. Uh, Engineering and planning are two very, they they seem similar degrees because they work in similar places, but they're very different. Uh, One's a left brain degree, one's a right brain degree. And uh, I'm kind of one of these goofy people who has a little bit of both. And so in my professional career, nothing really made sense. I kept saying, like, I'm not a very good engineer. And then I said, I'm not a very good planner. And what stuck for me is I, I started to take some of the questions I had a- and explore them. I ultimately wound up starting a blog and writing about this. Uh, basically, why are our cities struggling financially? Why are the projects that I'm working on as a as an engineer, as a planner, not resulting in prosperity for the places I'm I'm working for, and that led me on this this journey of of writing of discovery. Uh, you you write and you understand that when you write, it's this very intentional process of putting your thoughts down in a way that makes you think through things and also makes them more real and concrete, and so. Some friends of mine encouraged me to start this nonprofit. Uh, I worked with them and, and and we did that. I kept writing. Uh, people started to read it, pass it around. I started getting invited to speak in places. Uh, a, a foundation stepped up and gave me three years of startup money. I mean, they actually came to me and said, what you're doing is really important. Uh, in 2015, 
uh, we adopted a new strategic plan and I went and looked for a colleague to help me out and figure out what to do. And that was you. <laughs> and you and I and Michelle and, and, and some other people along the way, starting in, in 2015, have been taking what really was my blog and making it into a movement for change. Um, we're up to you know something like two and a half million unique audience members a year. We got a bunch of different podcasts and videos. And, and I think the thing I'm most proud of right now is that I am a voice in this conversation. Uh, I'm not the conversation. And so having you here doing this, all the amazing people you've had on your podcast, uh, Daniel, John, th this whole long list of guest writers, and then, of course, all the behind-the-scenes team that makes it all work, uh, it's just been astounding. You know, that, that's, that's, that's my story. Do you ever miss uh, being like a planner and running a planning firm? No, uh-uh. Not at all. If there's something I miss lately, I miss blogging. And I miss blogging because of the, you know, the, the, the style we use and the format we use on our site now is no longer the blog style. It's, it's, it's more of a, a column, a professional kind of approach. We have editors, <laughs> you know, we have layout people, we have people who do things. So it, it, it looks nice. The, the blog format was uh, very much kind of free form and free flow. And it allowed you the room to kind of explore things. And, and you can do that with a smaller audience because in a sense, the audience that's there is self-selecting to be there. And they're kind of on a journey with you. And now with, with the larger audience and the larger approach we have, we have people coming at it from many different directions. And some of the ugliness and, and chaos and messiness of exploration is not as appreciated in the format we have today. So if I miss something, it's that it's that freeform writing. I've, I've actually thought that I would like to adopt a pseudonym and and just allow myself some freeform writing once in a while. A secret blog. Somewhere. A secret blog, yeah. <laughs> well, so I don't know that a book is a more like freeform space for writing. It's probably a lot more formalized than even the articles on our site in terms of the editorial process and how long it took to put it together, but it does seem like a book is a chance to like explore thoughts more in depth, more extensively, like take readers on a journey with that. We are talking about your new book. It's called confessions of a recovering engineer transportation for a strong town. Um, by the time we publish this episode, it will have just been released. What got you motivated to write this book, Chuck? This book is the second in what I, I hope and I anticipate will be a five-part Strong Town series. And so really the, the, the motivation for the, the first book, Strong Towns, was to put the core Strong Towns ideas together. And this book is really the compromise I made with myself that allowed me to do the first one. Because if you read the first book, and a lot of people who know Strong Towns really well read it and said, you didn't even mention Strodes in that book. You didn't talk about transportation at all. You, you, you avoided that topic. You didn't talk about housing. You like, wh how can you have a book on strong towns without talking about deep about housing issues? And the reason is because the first book was, you know, 60 some like 70,000 words. And if I had written about transportation, it would have been 150,000 words and that just wasn't going to work. So what I said when I wrote the first book was I envisioned five books 
and I will be able to pair out things in the first book, acknowledging that I will go into depth with them in subsequent books. So book two, transportation, uh, our colleague Daniel and I are working on book three, which will be housing. Uh, I think we're going to have a contract with Wiley fairly soon on that one because they're very happy with how this is going. Uh, ideally, book four would be economic development and book five would be something like urban design. That's that's how I pitched it to the publisher originally. And it's also how I was intellectually able to kind of focus to do the first book, knowing I would have this space. If I did the first book well, I would have this opportunity and space to do the second book. What are some of the key transportation challenges that your community, Brainerd, Minnesota, and others across the country are facing that that this book really speaks to and helps people think about addressing. I think Brainerd is special, but I don't think it's unique. I think it's a place that has many challenges that people all over the place are going to relate to in terms of transportation. Yeah, it's it's not unique at all. It, right now, in a very urgent way, the state DOT is going through and redoing what I would call Washington Street. That's actually its name. What the state calls Highway 210 through the middle of the city. Is this Business 210? No, that's Business 371. Oh, sorry. So th- that's the mistake we made a decade ago. So my city sits at a railroad crossing of the Mississippi River. And if you think back in the in the 1871 when this thing was built, where the city prospered and where the city was built was going to depend on where that river crossing was because there were only so many. And we had a bridge uh, here where the train went across and so thus, bam, a city. That city was fully formed and fully developed by the early 1900s. You know, I've got pictures of the city from 1904 where it's this beautiful place. I've got pictures from the early 1900s where it's, it's you know, these gorgeous brick buildings and, and, and you know, hotels in the downtown and well-developed neighborhoods and great parks. And it was on its way to being a really amazing place. And then, of course, the Depression, World War II, and now we're starting to build highways and the strategy for building the highways was for Brainerd to build a north-south through the heart of the community, the, the middle of town, and then to build an east-west that would run basically on the north side of the railroad tracks. So the south side of the railroad tracks was where like the commercial core was. And so what we did is we bypassed that by building to the north, and we shifted the entire commercial center of the city two blocks north and then bisected the town. So the residential neighborhood that I live in is separated by this five-lane moat through the middle of the city. And then the commercial area is south of that. Again, bisected by South 6th Street, which is also referred to as Business 371, the old highway. The state is going through and redoing this now. And they're saying all the things, right? Like we want to have pedestrian connections and we want to make it so we get some economic development here and we want you know, to, to make it green or whatever. And they, they're, they're using all the buzzwords that DOTs are now programmed to use. Um, and they're putting back a four-lane atrocious highway through the middle of the city. And so I'm left where I'm always at, which is how much energy do I spend on what is almost certain to be a feudal battle that will earn me a lot of enemies in the community and expend some of the the capital that I've built up? And how much of that capital do I reserve for things that 
I can have a bigger impact on. And I, I feel like that is a that is something that everybody goes through in these situations, right? Yeah, certainly the challenge of dangerous, high-speed, expensive roads through our cities is something that like every community has suffered and continues to suffer. Yeah, I feel I feel like we screw this one up and it will be like with business 371, it will take decades to fix. And that's the that's the thing that where the stakes are so high on this one that I would like to get there's a group that I've been working with here and we're trying to really focus on like four blocks. It's a two mile project. And I'm like, if we can just get these four blocks so they're not horrible, it's going to help a lot. I mean, this is kind of a depressing conversation so far, but am I, is it fair to say that (laughs) the book not only talks about all the ways we went wrong and helps people understand like the pitfalls of our current transportation system, but also helps to think about some better approaches that, that we do see some people applying in some places. Uh, no, the book is just solid depressing. The whole, no, it. I think the thing that's the most exciting about this book is that it is framed and formatted for action. It, it, it's actually designed in every chapter to give people alternative ways to do things. So the first chapter starts out basically talking about the underlying values of the engineering profession. You know, I get people at the end of that chapter uh, into this framework where we like, here's things that engineers and, and transportation planners are really good at doing. And here's stuff that they're not qualified to do or that really should be part of a public conversation. And if we can get cities and local leaders and people involved in these things at the local level to just make that distinction, it will radically transform everything. Engineers are really good at helping us with drainage. Figuring out where stormwater is going to go. They're really good at recommending pavement widths and pavement types. They're really good at, uh, you know, the physical construction of this stuff and overseeing contracts and how they're let and 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 the whole building process. But they're not good at, you know, figuring out the trajectory of a neighborhood or what the deep seated needs are of the people that are there or you know how, how something is going to develop in its next lifestyle iteration. These are all things that a, a broader uh, design process should take into account. And so the book really enables people and enables local communities to take a lot of transportation decisions that are being made for them today as just part of the process and split those out and allow them to make them for themselves and then properly direct their professional staff to, uh, to to do the work that they're most qualified to do. How did the writing process go for you? Were there other people that were part of making this book happen? Were there <laughs> editors or inspirations, sources? Well, now you're asking me to say stuff that uh, I think I think you maybe can help me say. So the this book was supposed to be done and out last March. Um, this little thing happened called the pandemic. It kind of struck at a very, it was, you know, I'll say this at a very strange time for me because I signed the contract in December of 2019 and I was supposed to have the book done by October, January, we were having some staff turnover. You, you were kind of on board helping part-time while you were full-time in graduate school. Um, we worked up to hiring some really competent staff in March. 
And I remember thinking at the time, like, okay, I didn't get any work done in January on the book. I didn't get any work done in February, but in March, I'm going to have the staff in place and I'm going to really be able to hammer this book hard. I just got to get through the staff retreat in March and then I can get really going on the book. Of course, we were at the staff retreat and we had to cut it early because they were locking down the country because of the pandemic. And so really the next like two or three months for me were lost because I was like all of us trying to figure out what the future was going to be. And, and I made very little progress. I set aside a week to write a whole week. I'm going to write this book. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get, I'm going to make progress. And my wife and kids were out of town and I was going to write. And when I sit down and write, I can write three, 4,000 words, 5,000 words a day. So like a week of writing, I was planning on getting like 20, 30,000 words done. The book is 90,000 words. So you can imagine like, this is a big part of the book. And the Sunday of that week, I had this crash and I got a really bad concussion and made no progress in the book for like two months. So I'm sitting here in, 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 uh, you know, mid August, early September, probably about 20% done and, uh, no, no chance of getting it done by October. Fortunately, my publisher, really good guy, Wiley's been really helpful to me, very generous, gave me till the end of the year, worked with me. I'm a writer who writes late at night. So my family is generally early to bed, 9, 30, 10 o'clock. And then I will sit down and write and I will write till one or two in the morning and then kind of force myself to quit. And I did that for four or five months uh, to finish this thing up. Intense process. I love it. I think the thing that um, is hard, both both books I've written, I've gained like five pounds and I gain weight because I wind up eating late at night in order to keep my energy up and my momentum up. And with the new book, I'm trying to find a way to, the next book, I'm trying to find a way to not do that. So it may, it may compromise the speed at which I write a little bit, but we'll see. <laughs> Well, what do you hope will happen now that this book is out in the world? What do you think it has the potential to change? I walked with my wife last night. Uh, we just took a long walk. And I said to her, I think this has a chance to change everything. And she, you know, is, is kind of cynical of me. She's my wife. So she's not enamored with my fancy words and what have you. Um, you know, so I, I had to explain, like, I... I I think there's something deeply subversive about this book. N not only is it written for a general audience, I think it's a very approachable book. I think uh, non-technical people will actually enjoy reading it more than deeply technical people will. But the, the subversive part of it is that it directly gives them power and authority that they can take unilaterally and seize uh, to get outside of the current paradigm that was very important to me is, you know, we have lots of local leaders and by local leaders, I mean, mayors and city council members, but I also mean like, you know, someone who's just very interested in the community and wants things to be better and, and is willing to kind of step up and, and work with their neighbors to make that happen. I have a lot of them asking like, what should we do? What can we do? How do we manage this? How do we make things better? And what I wanted to do with this book and I think it does this very well, is give them uh, opportunities to unilaterally seize that power and seize that capacity for themselves. Uh, 
to not have to ask permission, to not have to, uh, you know, negotiate with your uh, city professional or with your state DOT. Uh, I want people to feel very empowered to actually take control of their own communities and their own transportation systems to, to make them work for them. And I, I, I think this book gets us a lot closer to that. So, of course, we encourage those who are listening and interested in understanding a strong town's approach to transportation to purchase the book or request it from your local library. But we also often hear about strong towns advocates who are sharing, um, especially the previous book, with other people. Are there particular people that you would encourage listeners to maybe share this book with um, after they read it themselves? Yeah. Um, that's a that's an interesting question. So my mom has been reading it. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. I grew up on a farm, I said, at the beginning, and, and she was a stay-at-home mom there. Uh, I'd get home from school and she'd have like fresh bread made or fresh cookies made or whatever. That, that was my mom. And she went back to school when I was in eighth grade, seventh grade. She she became went back to school, got a degree, and became an elementary school teacher. So that gives you a little sense of her background. She's uh, you know educated, um, you know, but but not like some deep intellectual person who you know reads what. She's been reading my book, and she texts me and, and calls me and tells me updates after she finishes a chapter. And she is. She she liked the last book, but she liked the last book because Chucky wrote it. You know, this book she likes a lot. Uh, she really she's she said I, I I can I can tell my mom's tone, and I can also tell by how specific she is about what she likes that she's really finding this book to be captivating for her. And so, to me, I would share it with anyone who has a curious mind about their place. A big part of what we're doing at Strong Towns is, is, is shifting the broad cultural conversation about growth and development. We decided very early on that it was not our calling to try to fix the professionals. And it wasn't our calling to give advice and aid to elected officials. Like that, that's not where we can do the best service. Where we can do the best service is by helping the person who's stuck in traffic understand why, by helping the person who feels scared crossing the street understand why, but by helping the person who uh, you know wants to start the small business but is being required to put in a big parking lot to understand why, and then with all those people be able to understand how they could do it differently and have it work better for them. I think that the, the publishers go through this with me too. They're like, "Who's the target audience?" And I'm like, "Everybody." And they're like, no, that's not the target audience. Come on, who is it? I think it's anyone who's interested in how their community works and how it can work better. And that is a broad swath of America. Uh, but uh, but I, I think that that is the, the group that really needs to read this book. Indeed. So I always close my podcast by asking, what advice do you have for other people who want to take action to make their town stronger? And particularly in this regard, in this conversation, we're talking about transportation. What are some like beginning steps a regular person could take to start understanding their transportation in their community more and even start making it better? I think there's two things. To me, these are the two most important. And I'm a little bit biased because these are two that I 
did not naturally do, did not naturally come to, and and really struggled with. But whenever I do them, I find great value. The first one is you need we need to all meet our neighbors. We need to make a concerted effort to get to know the people around us, to know them with as much generosity as we can. Generosity, uh, you know, you can say that materially, but I, I think even more importantly, generosity of spirit to really understand who they are and, and, and respect them in, in our community and understand that anything that we're going to do that's going to be successful is going to be done ultimately in cooperation with them. The, the second thing is that we need to go out and intentionally experience the community the way that the people around us are. I think biking and walking is the most eye-opening and important thing that any transportation, anyone interested in transportation can do. Uh, the future of our cities and, and, and really the future of the financial you know, solvency issue that we talk about in the first book can only be solved by us understanding how people walk how they get around, how we make that easier, how we make those neighborhood connections more organic, less constrained, uh, more fluid. And really that requires this kind of humble approach of experiencing the city like people who walk. If you're not someone who walks, if you're someone who drives, uh, I'm not telling you to go out and walk two miles. I'm not telling you to go on the trail and do a leisurely walk. I'm telling you to try to the extent that you can to take the trips that you're making and make them into walking and biking trips. If, if your trip is, if you've got a four block trip or a six block trip, walk that thing, walk it during the rain, walk it during the snow, observe other people who are walking, observe like where it's difficult to do the walk and use that knowledge to kind of inform yourself in a way that sitting behind a, a wheel, behind a windshield is never going to do. I think if everybody understood their city in that intimate kind of way that only walking can bring, uh, we would have a completely different transportation paradigm. Thank you very much, Chuck. Thank you for taking the time to come on this show. If people want to hear more from you, of course, they can tune into the main Strong Towns podcast, which you host on mostly a weekly basis. Um, you're also a regular guest on the Upzone podcast, hosted by our friend Abby Kinney, and of course, writing articles regularly for Strong Towns and doing all the behind the scenes stuff at Strong Towns. So thank you for being on the show, Chuck. It's great to talk with you. And we encourage everyone to check out the book if they're interested. And thank you for uh, thanks for being my colleague, eh? And doing this. I mean, it's it's fun. It's fun because I mean, we did this interview, and it was very nice. In some ways, it feels like it's my success, but the reality is, is that, like this this never would happen without you, and it never would happen without the rest of the team here. And so, uh, you know, I'm I'm happy to be the one doing the interview and and answering the questions. But I hope you feel as, as much pride in this as, as I do, because you should. You really should. Yeah, it's a very exciting moment. I'm glad this book is going to get out into the world. Yeah. All right. So as I mentioned last week, I started posting our episodes in the Strong Towns Facebook group and just inviting any discussion, comments, feedback, uh, stories, Feel free to share those in the comments um, in our Facebook group. 
just search Strong Towns Facebook group uh, in Facebook and you'll find us. And then also, of course, feel free to email me, rachel at strongtowns.org, with any other feedback, guest suggestions, etc. Finally, thank you to all the Strong Towns members who are making this work possible. Special shout out to our launch team, which is largely Strong Towns members and a few other folks who are helping to share this book, helped provide insights and input um, as we're preparing the book launch and are just kind of our ambassadors out there in the world. Thanks to everyone who supports Strong Towns and is part of this movement. You guys rock. Head to strongtowns.org slash membership if you would like to become a member and join the movement officially. All right. We will see you back here next week for the next episode. Take care, everyone. Thank you.